Hello friends, welcome to the 8th house of astrology, ruler of occult, magic, mystery, and truth. Join me, Sarah, a developing psychic medium with a scientific mind, and my good friend Eliza, a tarotist and thanatologist, as we explore, through the lens of the tarot, the healing hidden within the deepest and sometimes the darkest corners of the human experience. Hi. Hello, in person-ish. <laughs> yeah. Five years ago, Megan and I started our Masters of Science in Thanatology offered online through the nursing department at Marion University of Wisconsin. And it's a weird degree. Nobody has it. So it was really magical chance that she and I ended up being in the same cohort and um, just really clicking. Yeah. And bonding and finding that we had so much in common. Um, and I remember in our thanatology program, studying palliative care, end of life, hospice, I discovered a hero, Stephen Jenkinson, the grief walker. There's been documentaries about him. And I just sort of went a whole direction where he's a social worker. And I was like, I could do this. And I really want to make it available virtually. That's wonderful because hospice tends to be so underserved, especially in different rural areas or even in overpopulated cities where families are being overlooked if they can't afford to pay for that service. And with the whole world having spent so much time on Zoom and other video conferencing systems, you know, it's not something that they're unfamiliar with. And to have an easy way into people's home that's cost affordable for all ends is exactly. incredibly important at this point. It's been a long time coming. <laughs> um, I, I think that a lot of the reason that we came to this is because we have this shared, in fact, I remember looking your astrology chart up and that we both had that moon in the eighth house which is very feminine mother oriented. The moon is, and then the eighth house is all of these. It's really death, the occult, you know, um, secrets, hidden things, subconscious, all those things like that the moon actually represents. So that was where the idea for this podcast and the name even came from. So I just want to say it's really special. And I look and look for people who share that. <laughs> and so I think that speaks to why we had so much in common. And so I want to turn it over to you to tell your harrowing story that kind of changed your life and your perspective about death and what lies beyond and kind of, and then maybe tie into what you do as a profession. Okay what you want to do. <laughs> um, so like Eliza said, my name is Megan and we met in a thanatology program for school. Um, I got led to the thanatology program from my profession as a child life specialist. So as a child life specialist, I support children and their families who are exposed to stress and anxiety within the healthcare setting. That could be anything from preparation or different invasive procedures or unknown procedures to the kids, all the way up to children dying and children 
coping with the death of a parent or a loved one. So I'm very comfortable supporting parents and siblings of children who died, but I found myself lacking in how to support children of adult patients. So that's what had brought me to the Thanatology program at Marion was my desire to have a stronger background and how to support these children and what that looked like for them as they continue to grow up without their loved one. Um, back to the experience that kind of brought me to, I guess a level of comfort with death and the child life profession as a whole. Because I was 12 years old when I was primarily healthy with no history of any type of medical conditions and I very rapidly declined. Um, by decline, I mean I went from having a headache to practically comatose and paralyzed on my left side. I was a patient at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia for about a month, spending the first 20 days in the ICU. <sighs> During that time, at least initially, when I was met in the emergency department, I was told I was very sick and the hospital I was at couldn't do anything to, for me. So that's when I got transferred to Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. At Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, I was told not to expect to make it. I was just kind of expected to die because they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me or how to make me better. As days go on or went on, you know, I fortunately did not die, but I was paralyzed on the left side of my body. And they're like, well, she didn't die, but now she's going to be paralyzed. And we don't know, you know, why she didn't die or, you know, why this is where we're at in this stage of the game. And that, I think, kind of lit a fire under me. And thankfully, with a good medical team, I was able to get movement back on the left side of my body. And as I grew up, it was always making it out of the hospital. There's got to be a purpose for me. There's got to be something more or something that I have to give to this world because I didn't die when everybody expected me to. Um, so death no longer scared me. You know, it's part of everything that we'll all face at some point. And if I could be that face for somebody during those difficult times, I want to be there, you know? Yeah. I think that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. What is it? Because I hear you saying that on one hand, you feel like you were meant to be here. And so that inspired sort of the, the rest of your life. It was like before that event and after that event is kind of what I'm getting. And then you said it's hard to talk about. So I'm interested in why that is. I think it's hard to put the attention back on myself. Yeah. Um, I'm now 29 years old, going to be 30 in April. And it was over more than 15 years ago for me at this point. So it's how much of it have I repressed? How much of it have I just moved away from? Because that was my life back then. And like you said, I have this new life now and this new perspective. It's 
also brings up um, memories and emotions of how my family must have felt, what the people around me must have experienced, and how that has to be so hard without like the appropriate support system. You know, like my mom and I will talk about it till this day. And she's like, I never worried. She goes, I had this underlying feeling that you would be fine. But did she really have those feelings or is she just trying to make me feel better because it was just a difficult situation for me as well? Yeah. I don't know. It just, it stirs a lot. And then you become the center of attention. (laughs) And I hate that too. <laughs> I've never been one to say, oh, listen to me, or here's my story. So. It is the most difficult thing in the world. Like I'm finding that out both in practice with social work and this, these podcasts. I sound more awkward than I've sounded in my entire life because I'm telling my story and my truths. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> the whole world, you know, not, not that we have that Ooh. many listeners, but, you know, it could potentially reach just anyone that I don't even know and how I say things and how it affects them. And it just starts me kind of spiraling into, whoa, 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 this is wild. It's just little me. (laughs) I'm just a speck in the universe. Yeah. But your speck shines bright and, you know, there's no reason to undersell who we are. I think it just takes time and effort to be comfortable shining in who we are. You know, yeah. like I like me and, you know, I think in liking me, it gives people permission to like themselves as well. And you've been so. with me through um, losing pregnancy and that I, I just, I feel like a lot of my journey was pouring my spark, my speck, whatever that, that brightness yeah. into raising my children and into conceiving and wanting, desiring to have um, children with my husband now, which never came to fruition. But then I started looking at the whole thanatology, grief, end of life. I realized that we came together later on and that maybe our union was more about um, closure than creating beginnings and And I started feeling really like that was a really beautiful thing because end of life and closure is just as important as the other stuff, the beginning stuff. It is a cycle. That's interesting to me too, that like your, your mom, you, you don't come from a religious background. So Mm -hmm. to have that faith that you were going to be fine, whether you know if that's right, true true or not, um, So I want to hear like about your personal experience and any, like you said, memories. Um, I'm sure that working with children and facing similar circumstances, that's the support Mm -hmm. that you offer that you said your parents didn't maybe have. And that's kind of what led you to, I'm thinking that was kind of full circle and led, led you to be that person. Absolutely. You know, I, I feel like when you talked about your own experience, it was Mm -hmm. as if you were reciting it from what you were told from not you. So I have, you know, I wonder if you have any specific glimpses or anything that you, that you actually remember experiencing during, um, being in a coma and the strange illness and being in the hospital, 
feel like feelings you felt versus, um, or if you didn't, you know, you might've really blocked it out or. See, I think that's what I struggle with, with it being so long ago and all the years of suppressing. So like when I meditate, right, everybody pushes meditate, meditate, meditate. When I meditate, I find myself back in my state of illness. My body goes into this tingling sensation up the left side of my body that turns into sharp pains. And then I'm brought back to memories of like bright lights. And like when I was hospitalized, they were doing construction on the hospital. So I remember all of the banging from the construction that was happening outside my window. I remember the frustration of meeting with my doctor and him trying to get me to realize that my arm was connected to my body. He would So you were conscious. You weren't like completely, you were in a coma for a while, but, and then your memories are like after that. Yeah. So no memories of during the coma. Um, it's more of like afterwards when I was still paralyzed, but not fully there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then as I got better, I remember going to PT before I could leave the hospital and how difficult it was to physically walk out of the hospital when this process had ended for me. But the whole near-death experience things that like we talk about I can't say I have any memories of those things. Like, I can't say I remember being outside of my body watching what was going on at this point. Um, I just remember being very much in pain, being very afraid of what was happening and then instantly turning to stubborn when, you know, the medical team made the decisions or the comments that they made to me about like, well, you know, you'll die now or, oh, you're just not going to get better. And like, were they doing it to spark, to motivate you? No, I think. Or you just like heard that? Yeah, I think I more heard that. And if they were saying it to me, I think it was to help me kind of have that end of life moment Mm -hmm. that like hospice and palliative care gives you that whole give you the time to be comfortable and kind of have life end on like your terms per se, where you realize it's happening and you accept it and you move into right. it instead of it being a shock to your system. Right. Um, but I don't know if I would have had that much time, you know, like it was in the afternoon I was playing soccer, had dinner by you know, an hour or two after dinner, I had a headache and the headache turned into, you know, vomiting and inability to move within an hour and the decline just cycled. So was it a stroke? Well, like what, what was it? They don't know. They don't know. Um, they say they won't know unless it happens again. Um, but they're between hemiplegic migraine and viral encephalitis. Mm-hmm. And then this like cycle or circle of unknown yeah. because whatever it was, they're like, oh, you shouldn't have gotten better. Those medicines shouldn't have worked or like, you know, the infection. But your system. stubbornness, your personal, energetic, spiritual you 
He's like, nope, this isn't going to happen. So I'm here. And I'm using this second chance, I guess, as an opportunity to support people through traumatic experiences in their lives. It allows me to be comfortable in those incredibly trying and difficult situations to just create space for people. That's profound. I don't know what to say. (laughs) I don't know. It feels right. You know, like you talk about your callings and where you're meant to be. And yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, we learned about it all in our program about uh, resilience and traumatic growth. Um, And you're a walking demonstration of, you know, it's, it's definitely not something to just go around and say like, oh, you're so strong. You're so strong. That gets really old for people like us who are strong and have been through a whole lot. Um, cause it's like, yeah, can I just lay down my, all my baggage now? <laughs> can I just Am I allowed stop to be being strong? <laughs> you know, it's exhausting, right? It burns you out. Like we've talked about. So it's this, this empathic gift that we've been given to have experienced something and then to feel what others are going through and be able to support them. Mm-hmm. But clearly it's, there's a curse having had that trauma, but that's the curse element to it. So it's like, how do we, you know, our whole show is about those themes of healing those traumas, those wounds, those things that we suppress, like you said, and are in the hidden most recesses of ourselves and we don't want to talk about them and they're difficult. And so I, I see with it being so hard to talk about myself, I love to help others. I love to help others process what they need to, but I am so uncomfortable processing my own stuff. So I just, I don't know. It's just a constant learning experience. Right. And at some point we do, we have to process our own traumas, right? Because eventually they're going to surface. You either process what has happened or when your subconscious is ready, you know, chances are you won't be, but it's going to surface. And like, are you going to be prepared to process when your body and mind determine it's time to process? Um, Yeah. I've experienced a really strange, like reawakening of, of the things that I was kind of bullied about as a child, um, my mm-hmm. shyness, introversion, awkwardness, social anxiety. Um, I think a lot of this is the, the isolation from the pandemic and being able to be really, really reflective, self-reflective. And on top of it, it's like coincided with my becoming an empty nester and except for that I have all these animals but (laughs) um uh, that just happens (laughs) I don't know they come to me um but I yeah so it's a time to really go inward and I've been like really sensitive about that and like when it comes up I'm like that wasn't cool that was like so wrong like feeling the injustices that I experienced and um almost latent sexual trauma like being heckled or whatever you call it like you know all the times we've had this conversation you and I about like 
just being a woman and how difficult it is and just the whole tone, the whole universe through the decades, clearly you and I are 20 years apart. And with that just being so prevalent in our culture and it finally, finally starting to uh, the tables turning with women coming out and and saying, you know, it's really messed up that this whole rape culture, like we're just objects and we're supposed to just deal with it. And anyway, so like that stuff resurfaces for me and I start getting so angry and it's almost like I can't think ahead or think past it or function. And it really, um, it just starts coming up, especially in social work and learning about social injustices and right. Oh, it's just, yeah, constant. And I constantly reevaluate like, gosh, I was really traumatized. You know, am I living in a state of chronic PTSD from all of the feeling like a target for a lot of reasons? Yeah. And then you take the time and you process that. And it doesn't have to be something that happened to you. Um, It happened for me. I keep saying that. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that. It's really great. And I don't know, we talk about rape culture, right? And I hate to think of it this way, but I'm part of that statistic. I was a woman who was raped by a friend. And, you know, I had always believed because of what he did to me, I have strength until another woman took the time to speak with me. And she goes, you're giving him too much credit. It's who you are as a person and who you choose to surround yourself and support you through that difficult situation that helps you heal, that helps you become who you are. It's not what happened to you that made you who you are. It's how you choose to process and step forward that defines who you are. And, you know, that kind of spoke volumes to me and has really changed how I process my experience and the narrative of how I tell the story to myself and to others, you know. So that could st- that could apply to any situation where you felt like you were not in control of it. Right. Yeah. And, you know, talking about thanatological stuff from that viewpoint, that is why part of what we are interested in doing as people who have studied that and people who work with the dying um, and, pe- you know, the survivors that it's, it's really hard when you cannot have an intentional death, like what those doctors were trying to give you. It's, it is a gift to be able to have the time and the space to really have an intentional passing that is true to you, that is dignified. And so many times you're robbed of that. And I think that's where the grief comes in for the survivors, where they're just so anguished about how that person passed and they couldn't, I know when my friend died of an overdose, Nate, that I've talked about several times on the show, he, that was where I was grieving was like, Oh, what could have been done? What could have been done? What could have been done differently? You know, and that you're just sort of robbed of that intentionality of, okay, it's peaceful. I'm, I choose to accept this. And, right, you know, I mean, that's just traumatic death. It's, it's right. And I think that's where the complication of the grief comes in. Right. Anytime we experience the death of a loved one or a friend, I think grief just 
it's the equal and opposite reaction of loving somebody. Yeah. Right. Like any time he dies, like you're going to hurt. And like, you can't just expect the hurt to stop six months, a year later, like you spend a lifetime loving them. I think when you don't get the intentionality of having a good death or, you know, spending your dying days with that individual doing what's authentically right to both of you in your relationship together, it just makes that grieving so much more difficult. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And, and maybe it's like the, the swiftness sometimes when it's unexpected right. and it's sudden, that's really difficult. I know to, to, uh, process and get wrap your head around because you just didn't have, you didn't see it coming. So you have right. to like take backward I'm steps and kind of, yep. yeah, make I'm sense of it. The whole making sense of meaning making, um, that we studied is, I love that concept um, mm-hmm. because I'm someone who just looks for meaning in everything. I think that's what the, why the tarot appeals to me. Cause I'm like, Ooh, this means that. And I can see it in the, in this concept, in this context, you know, in life. Right. And so I know you're not a big, you know, some about it. I know a little, a little bit. bit from what you've taught so. me. And like, it is very <laughs> cool to, um, have you do some of those readings for me the way you have. Um, but meaning making is huge. You know, as humans, we don't do well with ambiguity. Like we need to know we want answers. We want closure. And, you know, tarot can provide that for people, you know, if you're willing to believe. Yeah. I don't even know if it's so much. Um, I think I'm such, uh, with my meaning making, I've always like, connected the dots. Like I make connections very easily. I make associations. Um, so that's, what's happening with me. If I know the meaning of the card and I know what's going on with this person, then I go, Oh, that's about this situation. So it's, it's really fun. It's like, it's like matching the game, you know, <laughs> the matching. Okay, this give matches you, there's that. way more skill in that than just matching. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. It, it's a very intuitive process and it just really depends on uh, the situation, like, I, I think maybe some, it's not about belief for me per se, but if someone were super closed off to it and just didn't, um, give it any, like just wasn't receptive, that would be really difficult. Cause like you would say about anything, like that person's hard to read. Right. True. That's probably where they got the expression reading cards. <laughs> so interesting. So I just can't help but thinking about, I know we've talked about you being the queen of wands that really seems to relate. Um, And I can't help thinking of your situation that you described um, as the hanged man, as sort of a just hanging out in between conscious states in a coma. Um, I picture that as that limbo of just not being one way or the other, uh, that's that usually that card is a literal figure hanging upside down, but it's meaning is about gaining perspective from, so sort of like what you were saying, like the 
even though it was traumatic and terrible and blah, 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 you're still in this situation and you're in a sort of a holding pattern where you have time to allow that stuff to assimilate into your being. And then when you yeah. emerge from it, you live with that gift of that different perspective where almost your life, you hit pause on it. Right. Yeah, it was definitely a pause and um, very quick fast forward. You know, you really? talk about the post-traumatic growth. Yeah, I went from, you know, tw- I got sick when I was 12. It happened kind of right around my birthday. So I got out of the hospital on my 13th birthday. I was like 13 going on 25. Like yeah. the fast forward, I was never able to, um, I don't want to say understand my classmates, but I was never on You were on a different level. level. Right. Yeah. I never understood what at the time I saw is immaturity or like, I don't know, I guess immaturity is the best word. And I just, I couldn't think the way they did. I couldn't justify their behaviors back then when in reality, you know, that was very normal. And I was judging them because I no longer had the capacity to think and act like them because my life was forever changed. You know, when I walked out of the hospital, it started that new life for me with in theory and altered brains. So is it a new brain? Sure. I, I just realized that the hanged man is number 12 and death is 13. <laughs> so death in the tarot is like new life. It's like rebirth. So, oh my oh. gosh, I'm just making that connection. Like you literally went from, um, the 11 is, uh, is justice and then 12 is hanged man and 13 is death. And wow. then when you emerge, 14 is temperance, which is a balance and sort of alchemical process of the light and the dark and the, the elements and, you know, kind of assimilating well, everything would have been where I was done with all my rehabs, all my OT and PT and speech and was leveling out into yeah. life and who I was and what it was going to be. You've just like blown my mind processing all of this. Well, I hope that's good. No, it is. It's all good. Yeah. I love having my mind blown. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know do you have any any like we call them extraordinary experiences and I remember you and I even if you don't remember (laughs) we talked about this we shared a week where we presented on our discussion forum where you and I um, partnered and you did near-death experiences and I covered extraordinary experiences which are because you've had that and I've had the other I've had, um, you know, I saw a friend appear to me as an apparition. And is that, that was like a huge reason I went into this program. Cause I wanted to understand to make meaning and make sense out of why on earth did I see that? Was that a hallucination? Was it real? Like, right. so I'm just curious, like maybe we could do an extension of that week where we talked about those amazing things. Um, I wouldn't say necessarily amazing things like that. Um, I do have these feelings that spirits are visiting me at random times. 
I mean, based on things that are happening around me or things that I physically feel within my body that are like sharp changes. Um, but it's always seems to be around my grandfather who I've never met. I feel like he comes to visit me pretty regularly and kind of acts as like my guardian angel. Um, but I love that you feel it in your body. That's, that's similar to what Sarah, my co-host has described how she can tell there's like someone, an energy, a spirit around is that she'll right. feel it in her body and it just, it'll be like a sensation. Yeah. It's definitely the sensation that like hits my heart and like right in my chest. It's always right in the center when I have the distinct change and I notice it and it forces me to kind of stop and either process what's happening in my life or around me, the situation, um, and then just, just process, you know? Yeah. I love that. Um, does it, does it, a couple things came up when, um, you said, trying to think of how to say it. So like, so you're saying in meditation, when you meditate, did, did I remember this correctly that you said that like memories come to you when, of that time when you were recovering, which is fascinating. So I'm thinking that your meditation is allowing you to like open those channels that aren't normally that you normally shut to be able to function in life. So that's interesting. Takes everything I've suppressed, brings them back up, but it all, everything I experience is felt as a sensation within my body. It's not something visual. It's not auditory. It's definitely sensations that impact my physical. I have, I have a lot of auditory stuff. Like that's my main learning. So, but I was thinking about what you said when you remember the hospital and the construction sounds and sensory input. And I find that just so fascinating, um, how that affects people's psyches, even if they're, if you were kind of bordering death, um, and you, and you were still taking in the sounds and how that made you feel and how that altered your consciousness um or got it got in there it's just so interesting yeah the body processes everything and like you said so much input from our life happens from hearing and you know self-regulation is always like when you try to ground somebody in a situation like all of my kids are in high stress situations when I meet them And the first thing I do is I turn the TV off. I quiet the beeping medical machines. Like I tell people to be quiet. Like I limit all the auditory input because when when you become so overstimulated, you just can't process anything. And then you go into that anxious state and it takes everything to turn your brain off, to be able to calm down and to come out of that fight or flight mode yeah yeah and like in the terms of end of life like we all strive for that peaceful death right that death temperance (laughs) the temperance that is after death or you know at however you look at the cards sequence right to allow for 
families and loved ones to be there and know that their loved one can hear them kind of like all the way up until the end and just to be aware of that and make those final moments quiet and peaceful is a big deal it really is yeah especially children um I would think I don't work with them in the capacity that you do but just knowing how they have not maybe they don't they don't have enough life experience to know how to take deep breaths to to uh self-calm and self-regulate and and reduce the anxiety and the stress that is happening inside of them um would you consider yourself an empath yes yes i thought so too so my experience of being an empath always happens physically. Does that happen to you? Yeah. I yeah. Do. So um, kind of what you were in, saying in my stomach and sometimes mm-hmm. even in my skin. And when it's in my skin, it's more of like a full body. It does. It just goes everywhere. Um, but yeah. And as that empath, I do, I feel it in my body. I could like walk in the room across from a person right and feel it. like or I not even know what's going on or who the person is yeah. but I'm just like something somewhere is not right and then that's when you start talking to people right and you get the auditory confirmation that you know something is yeah. not right and then you're like oh the body feels right again oh yeah yeah <laughs> so it's almost like a premonition in your body yeah um yeah I was talking in another episode of the empress about the the mother um, archetype where I first experienced that when my mother had her own near-death experience um, when mm-hmm. she she had my sister I have two sisters the second one and my mom has a clotting disorder so she can very easily hemorrhage to death and the baby just flew out in the middle of the night when she was going to the bathroom right. baby was in distress my mom was in distress she was fading quickly because she was basically bleeding out. Um, and I think I got some glimpse, even though I had, they had someone come take care of me when they went to the hospital, I have the memory of like, or like that at that moment, I think it transferred to me and I kind of, I started experiencing my mom physically within me, like as an empath. So I think that was where I became aware that I was, had that quality to me. So the last thing I was thinking that I wanted to tie in was uh, we've talked about, there's this podcaster who is like an instructional tarot podcaster, and he talks about meditation and that some types of meditation, like he says for some people that can actually, and he's actually going into um, counseling. He thinks like he looks at the tarot and he looks at the different elements and he's like for different people experiencing a certain elemental type of high stress that meditation in, in certain forms may not be beneficial. It might actually trigger. Hmm. Very interesting. So you said environmental. So like, well, elemental, I think I said, elemental. well, the, the suits in the tarot are based on the elements. So okay. the wands are fire, let's say. Right. So, and the swords are air both of those are very intense. So then there's water and earth. So you kind of want to go with your opposite, what you you're like, so you're a fire sign, you're Aries. So water might be a better 
situation for you. Uh, and, and like for me, um, air and earth, I'm so in my head air. People are like, thinky, 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 like overthinker yeah. crazy and getting on the ground, being in nature, laying in the grass, um, is so healing for me. Um, it made a lot of sense to me. That's all. No, I just, I tried a float recently. Do they have floats by you? They do. Yeah. I just did my first float, I guess within the last month or so. And it was fascinating. Like, I'm not quite sure how I felt about it, but like, it wasn't painful. And it was Mm. the most time I had spent with a clear mind rounding myself into my body and who I am as a person. That's fascinating. Maybe I'll have to go back, try another float. Or just maybe how you you think of it. Just like, maybe I don't need to keep feeling this like burning, tingling. Like maybe I need to cool that and like get in some water and talk about temperance. You know, if that's how you come out of the near death experience and you're finding that stasis, that, um, equilibrium may be something that counteracts that feeling. So I could imagine that would be watery things that, that quell that, that Bernie type. Is it like a Bernie sensation? Yeah. It almost feels like my skin's on fire. It's like pins and needles, like like skin on fire. Well, there you go. It's a, yeah, it's a feeling that I try very hard to avoid. So I like this so, wow. element. Yeah. yeah. Really cool. Well, um, is there anything you want to share as far as like what you no, see yourself doing so, soon or well, working with or see myself doing soon? That's, um, it's kind of a vague question. <laughs> I was like throwing stuff out there. Maybe you catch something. Um, I don't know. Like, I'm so grateful to have had this opportunity to talk about this and my experience. And you've once again been able to show me things that I wasn't aware of before our interaction. So, like, forever grateful that our Thanatology program brought us together. Um, me too. But what I'm going to do, I don't know. I'm throwing it up to the universe and I'm going to see where it puts me, you know, as much as I love working in traumatic situations, as much as I love being with people at the end of life, COVID has changed how end of life is looked at and treated. And I'm a single person and I can't break the systems that have been put in place that I'm struggling against. So I'm throwing it out there. You know, I'm going to live each day to my authentic self and I'm going to support people as I can and along the way, but I'm confident the universe will land me where I'm meant to be. But right now, I don't know what that is or where it is. And I'm getting comfortable with that unknown. I love that. And I just want to tell you, you were always that strangely that fiery rock so you're lava to me you're (laughs) (laughs) you are queen of wands for sure because that's the fire element and you were just so to me you you have known yourself and now it sounds like you're saying like you walked out of that 
fire of sorts and we're kind of like a phoenix um you and yeah. al share a lot in common rooster <laughs> al because he had a brush al. with death a couple times so i call him a phoenix and you have that similar quality where you're like living for each day you're you're uh, you're with your partner's name blaze i mean yeah. <laughs> come <Yeah>. on <laughs> like you are queen of fire come on so <laughs> I'm just like seeing that fire qualities are this just bright light of truth, um, very connected, very creative spirits, like this life vitality. And that's probably why they couldn't tell you you were going to die because you just don't um, take a lot more than that. Um, so, but you were, so it's funny that someone who was constantly flaming and me who's constantly thinking and overthinking and I would always text you so what what classes are you to take next blah, 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 blah. and I'm like always like 50 steps ahead of time and I'm never really present and you're like um I'm just looking at this class like I when no. it's time to register I will <laughs> you know like taking it one day at a time one thing at a time and I was really affected by that um, and that really has really, really helped me, um, especially during COVID, because to tie this back in, I was trying to really establish a, a tarot reading practice and like drawing a card every day to really get to know how to connect them to life situations. So when the lockdown started, I would get hanged man every day and I would want to scream because I'm like, okay, so another day of just, we don't know. <laughs> like we don't know what's happening we're just hanging out so that is the hardest thing for me and so I think you being queen of wands or fire and your ability to withstand just hanging over a burning <laughs> fire like not knowing but knowing it, it, you're gonna get out of that situation just taking it in stride mm -hmm. I just that's how I, I see you I was really like, I need to have control over myself and my situations. And like, yes, I could be hanging over this fire, but like, I always have an escape route planned, right? Now I'm like, that structure, that that constant planning, when it doesn't happen, because we've been hanging for years now. Yeah. It's got it's got to be bigger than me. The fire yeah. in that lava just got to flow me to wherever is next. And I will stand there and burn wherever I need to burn. Well, I've learned so much from you um, being like that. Well, it was so good talking to you. It was great cool, meeting, you. meeting you. <laughs> yeah, right. Even though we already know each other. Soul to soul. Right.